The Google Podcast app is going away in April. Right now, I want you to take a look at the podcast app you're using right now. Maybe it's time for a new one. Check out podcastapps.com and try a new one for free right now. That's podcastapps.com. You ready for an adventure? Twenty-three on Disney Plus. It's going to be quite a year. New stories. This is just the beginning. Definitely. New faces. Peter Pan. Were you expecting someone else? And some familiar ones too. Hang on. Disney Plus is one of the streaming platforms experiencing growth in Canada, while Netflix viewers are on the decline. That's according to the Canada Media Fund's latest Key Trends report, exploring how the screen-based industries are evolving and where advertising, viewer habits, and media technology are headed. On this episode of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast, we welcome the CMF's Richard Koo, VP Analytics and Strategic Insights, and Florence Giraud. Manager Foresight and Innovation, to discuss this year's findings, why the death of traditional TV is overstated, and the potential impact of AI on media creators. Hi, my name is Richard Koo. I'm the Vice President of Analytics and Strategic Insights at the Canada Media Fund. I've been at the fund for about 16 years now, but I have a bit of an, I think, an interesting journey in terms of how I got here. I started my career at CBC, CBC Sports specifically. I was their head research officer involved in a, a lot of like audience research work. So ratings, program testing. Uh, I worked a lot on the Olympics. Uh, Hockey Night in Canada, just understanding who the audiences were. Um, this was in support of obviously the producers, but also a lot of marketing efforts. So that was a really great, I guess, onboarding experience in terms of the media business and certainly not something I expected to, to get involved in because I actually have a degree in urban planning from the University of Toronto. So it was a bit of an interesting jump to, to, to get to CBC, but there I landed. And I did that for about five years before uh, moving on to the CTF as it was back in, in the time. It was the Can Canadian Television fund. And I was their senior research uh, analyst there. I was involved and continue to still be involved in their envelope calculations. Once again, understanding who the audiences were and showing and proving how, how much viewership we had to, to the CMF finance projects. So that's kind of my, my history in terms of the work I do right now. I weave that in a little bit with some production work I did on the side, uh, both when I was at CBC and then at the CTF CMF, I, I worked on a project called Reach for the Top, which uh, I, I think a lot of listeners will will know about. It was the high school version of Jeopardy. It's been in existence in Canada since the 1960s. I started Reach for the Top as as a production assistant, basically running scripts to to readers, and stayed there long enough that I eventually became their senior managing editor. And between 2010 and 2012, I was the uh, the national host. Of reach for the top it was it was a really fun experience i mean being able to to help produce a show that had such a history of that nature um to be able to host the national finals with these really super smart students from from across the country was really really a joy and a treat and and something that you know i had to keep up with because these players are really smart and really fast and as the host you had to always be on your game to make sure that you know the game flow flew well to make sure that you really showcased the the, the smarts of, of of these kids and not get in the way of their performance so that helped me i think in a lot of things i do today certainly just in terms of being able to, to work on the fly to be able to be 
here talking to all of you um, and also to, to, to really enjoy the industry that we work in. So that's a little bit of my history. Hi, my name is Florence Giraud. Uh, I'm manager for Site and Innovation at the Canada Media Fund. Uh, and actually, I recently uh, joined the fund last September. Prior to that, I've been in the screen-based industry for quite a lot, a lot for like more than 20 years. I've worked for a wide range of players with uh, with different hats. I produced documentaries. I was festivals programmer. I also coordinated various programs supporting creators. And basically, one of the constant objectives in my in my professional journey has really been to support creators and the industry, and also to help them forecast and, and, and face new challenges. And, and it's probably why for the past 10 years, uh, I've been focused on new technologies and uh, on how these new technologies, new initiatives uh, impact the, the screen-based industry and how we can help creators taking that into consideration for building their, their future. Should we start by talking about the parameters of this year's report and the three chapters that it's built around? The, the Key Trends Report, uh, which is the, the annual uh, trends report uh, released by the Canada Media Fund, always starts with uh, all the monitoring work throughout the year, but also with a uh, consultation process to, to listen to the industry, to listen to the experts on what may be the, the most important signals to to take into consideration this is what we did uh, this year to to produce this 11th uh, issue and the the main three uh, chapters I would say are first business models but also audiences and then technologies with a focus on sensory technologies. I want to dive right into the viewing numbers in terms of what and how Canadians are watching. One of the most interesting data points is that we outpaced the G7 when it came to on-demand viewing in the third quarter. Did you want to take that one, Richard? I mean, when what we talk about in the macroeconomic piece uh, in the Key Trends Report is just the uh, is the availability of content and the and the potential for 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 viewing on all sorts of different platforms. Now, the SVOD itself, even though it's been such a driver of content consumption over the last half decade, decade now. There's so much more room for growth. There's so much more potential. There are, are tens of millions of people that still aren't subscribed to SVODs. So, so that in itself shows that there is a potential for that platform. I think what we're also seeing right now, though, is uh, with that potential is a real demand for, for content to fill those uh, new platforms and also the opportunities for creators to, to get their stories told in, in, in a manner, in an opportunity they didn't have before when we had just the traditional legacy broadcasters commissioning content. There was only a certain amount of space that was available in SVOD online platforms. Now it's unlimited effectively. And and so producers are getting their content out there in a manner they haven't been able to do so before. And what's interesting, and I think this is what drives a lot of the increase in consumption and maybe outpacing the world here in Canada is the fact that You've got now the opportunity for stories that were never told before to be seen, to be heard, and for 
communities in this country that perhaps didn't have the opportunity to have those interest values reflected in uh, previous content are now gravitating to these other platforms in order to, to see themselves reflected in those stories. So I think that's perhaps one of the things that's really driving the, the consumption levels that we're seeing. I also found it surprising the number of Canadians that are still watching linear television. And despite being out of a lockdown situation, the numbers are fairly stable in terms of how much content Canadians are watching. Yeah, and I think it's, I, I mean, there seems to be this impression that, you know, we've heard it for a while now, television is dead and traditional platforms are dying and there's, you know, this is going to be all SVOD all the time. And, and, and the research has shown that's clearly not the case. If anything, these new platforms are providing additive value. It's more opportunities for, you know, for consumers to, to consume content. And, and, and certainly, let's not forget, Linear television still makes up the vast majority of viewing in this country. It's still, you know, on part of 70, 75% of content being consumed is still on linear platforms. Yeah, certainly that's different from 20 years ago when it would have been 95, 98, 99%, but it is still the, the vast majority of content consumption. And I think that we all need to remember that it's still a very important player in this business. So can we dive into the numbers, Richard? Do you want to talk about where Canadians are watching and which platforms are proving to be the most subscribed to right now? So what I'm drawing uh, data from is in the section on the Key Trends Report, which is called Digging Into Data. And this is data that comes from GWI, one of our one of our sources. Now, I, I'm just going to preface this. Most of the data that I normally work with in terms of consumption usually deals with sort of like legacy broadcasters or, or legacy uh, platforms like Numeris. Uh, which provides uh, effectively a real-time measure, even if it's slightly incomplete in terms of actual consumption. A lot of the data that we that we have here at GWI speaks to to interest intent. What do you use? What do you? Uh, what is your favorite? Uh, you know, how many hours of content uh, do you watch on each of those platforms? But it doesn't necessarily measure it in the traditional in the way that you would through a panel, right? Through a through a live panel, twenty four seven. It's interesting to to observe that from Q three uh, twenty twenty one to Q three twenty twenty two, there is very few variation. Uh, but we notice that uh, platforms like Disney Plus, for example, increased a little bit, especially within the Anglophones Canadians, uh, but also within the, the, the Francophones in Canada. However, Netflix slightly decreased and Amazon is quite stable, I think. So it's, it's part of the evolution that we've noticed this year when working with GWI on the, the Key Trends Report dashboards. I don't remember a report in recent memory that talked as much about household economic challenges and their impact on trends. Roku also touched on this in their recent report and what they called the flexi VOD model. Do you think having this revolving door of subscriptions is going to inevitably be the way forward for a lot of Canadians where they'll be picking and choosing services? I think it's going to be interesting to see how consumers really show their, their the power of their decision-making and their choice of content in the future. I mean, when you think a little bit about the original models of how content was delivered through cable packages where you only had one choice of a bundle and that's all you had to do, that, that you just had to sort of live with that. I, I think, you know, that was obviously a situation where there was not really any choice. So this is 
just what we have to, to subscribe to. Now, in this new model where you know there is so much choice and you don't have to be bundled into a package, you can choose a la carte what you want to be watching. It will be interesting to see to what level this you know, the churn or the revolving door happens. But I think what it also speaks to, and we talk about this in the report, is again, the power of the consumer to decide what they actually like and what they actually will want to consume. And, and that will hold distributors and, and, and broadcasters to account to make sure that they are delivering content that really is reflective of those values in a manner that is far more responsive than would have been previously in, in an era of just pure you know, bundling and linear delivery. You know, one of the questions I get asked a lot is how much time does traditional television have left? I don't think that's something, obviously, that this year's trends report specifically addresses. But do you have thoughts on that based on, you know, some of the data that you look at routinely? Yeah, and I, I, I do have some thoughts on that. And I think, you know, one of the questions really has to be, what what is this definition of traditional television? And it goes back to what I was talking about previously about, I think, the you know, the, the, the death of television is highly, uh, highly overstated, right? You know, I often say that television never killed radio, it just pivoted it. And um, the way we have... SVOD and new services now is not going to kill television. And I think what you have to remember is television in the old traditional sense is merely a delivery method, right? What I'm really interested in is the availability of long, long form content, no matter where it is, right? What I think this speaks to is, you know, television, the platform itself will pivot and, 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 and will continue to survive. And it already is doing that right now. When you think about the onset of fast channels and AVOD, you know, television is essentially moving to those types of platforms, and it's still effectively television. It just happens to be something you can now get directly from your web browser. But you know, the method of delivery is effectively the same. It's still curated content that is available whenever you want it on a schedule, right? So really, I think television itself, when they talk about it dying, I, I don't agree with that whatsoever. I want to move into where advertising dollars are headed. The report makes a few predictions, but let's start with TikTok and the epic growth of its advertising reach. TikTok is, has just exploded on the scene, as we know, over the last number of years. Through the data that we've provided in the Key Trends report and the growth of advertising that's projected over the next five to 10 years, you can see it being a, an important force. That speaks to a couple of things. It speaks to TikTok's ability to really resonate with its users. A lot of that is coming from obviously user-generated, it is user-generated content, but user-generated content that is obviously speaking to a large percent of the population that perhaps did not have their, again, values as uh, reflected as well in the traditional methods of television delivery. So to see uh, that explosion uh, in this era is not surprising. I might add, however, that you know you saw the same kind of meteoric trajectory in any type of new media platform that we've seen over the last 10, 15 years, whether it be Facebook or YouTube, they also had huge growths at the beginning. And now they're getting to a point of being you know, a, a mature service. And now uh, TikTok is, is the new upstart and has this incredible growth. So it's a pattern that we've seen before. Um, and again, I think it does speak to you know, its ability to really, really speak to uh, a population that perhaps is looking for uh, content that is reflected of themselves. Right. And you cite an Omdia study 
Uh, TikTok will attract more than two-thirds of online video advertising revenue by 2027, 37% of all online video ads, more than Meta and YouTube combined, which will each capture just 12%. There's an interesting statement that you make, you know, in terms of the video on demand market in that TikTok and YouTube will decide the future of video on demand, not necessarily the big players like Netflix and Disney. Yes, well, the, the idea here, here is really to, to notice an interesting trend in terms of ad spend, but we think and it, it, it relies on, the, on what Richard said. It speaks more about how more content will be provided to the audience. One player um, replacing another one, um, you know, and of course it might be tempting to say like, okay, will TikTok take over uh, big players like Disney or Netflix or so on, but it's probably more more relevant to say that those player will just be able to provide different different kind of content at the same time into different kind of people but maybe not being real competitors. Just to build on what Florence is saying, I, I think once again, there's often a rush to judgment on you know who's winning, who's losing, who's going to live and who's going to die. And, and really what we, I, I think the key trends report really is trying to demonstrate is there is room for everyone. And if anything, it's not a mutually exclusive world. This is additive, right? The increase in screens, the increase in platforms for content to be produced and consumed is going to promote more consumption, not a choice between one or the other. And if I go back to, again, to sort of this television uh, example, sure, it's very easy to say, Television only makes up only makes up seventy five percent of consuming now uh, of consumption now linear television, but you know what we haven't discussed about is the fact that it's still cons- it's significant amounts of consumption and certainly the hours spent aggregate across all the different platforms are increasing right so it's not one platform taking another if anything it's growing the pie and I think that's an important right. method to 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 hear speaking of emerging technology AI's impact on the creative industries has been making a lot of headlines uh, since the release of ChatGPT in late November. Florence, did you want to talk about the impact of AI on the digital creator economy? Yes, for for sure. Uh, Well, uh, you're right. We've been speaking a lot about artificial intelligence uh, for for some weeks, some months, and maybe let's start with uh, defining what is artificial intelligence. I would say it's a, it's a field of computer science that aims to partially or completely automate tasks that typically typically require human intelligence. Concretely speaking, uh, AI doesn't provide us with intelligence or, or, or feelings or, or what, but just with algorithms that automate specific tasks. And in a nutshell, how does it work? You have like interfaces, for example, DALI or Midjourney or Stable Diffusion in terms of image generation algorithm, but you also have ChatGPT you mentioned. And if we stick to the image generation algorithm, 
you can describe a scene to these AI tools and the system will literally generate a selection of new images representing what you you described. These, um, these tools are, are fed with a large amount of images, of data, and they're able to provide uh, what you requested through a prompt because it's a it's prompt-based uh, system. And basically, once you, you get a first image, for example, or a, th- a first set of images, you can iterate the process just by modifying your request. So what it says is that this digital revolution, because it's fully part of the digital revolution, we are automating cognitive work, but only a certain type of cognitive work. It's mainly repetitive and time-consuming task. It's not new, actually, in the screen-based industry, uh, and these tools have been supporting different phases, whether it's the decision-making phase. For example, you have several AI-based tools which are machine learning algorithm fed with a large amount of data about various content, and they help you analyze how your project may perform by factoring, for example, your plot or your cast or whatever, and they can predict the audience reaction and and, and potential revenue, for for example. Uh, But they can also uh, help you uh, at the production phase, in particular uh, with with animation, for instance, because in animation you have a lot of very repetitive and time-consuming steps in in drawings, for example. All these steps can be very facilitated by AI tools. AI tools can also help a lot in post-production phase with VFX, of course, but also with editing. Because, for instance, you have um, facial recognition technology and uh, AI algorithm can basically recognize the key characters and sort certain scenes for your human editors uh, working on it. So here again, it, it, it helps save a lot of time. And maybe uh, finally, in distribution as well, uh, and in promotion, promotion can be really facilitated by AI tools uh, because some of them can analyze movie trailers and predict how likely people are to see those movies in cinemas or or in front of their screen, for example, because we know that some big players are using that kind of tools to do so. So it's not new. It's being more and more efficient. Uh, and we, what we observe is that industry players are probably more interested now to consider using these tools precisely because it helps save time and uh, it facilitates some 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 very key key steps in the in the in all the production process are there any other viewing trends or tech trends that have emerged that you want to talk about viewer values was one in the report that stood out for me which is very reflective of some of the reformation that's been happening both in front of and behind the scenes in the screen industries you're right. It's very interesting to see what Richard mentioned earlier about how consumers are increasingly more influenced, are, are getting 
more power in terms of how they can influence what what's going on in front of, on the screen, but also behind the screen. And it relies on the values that um, Gen Z, as, as we say, or the Zoomers, as we call them, they, what they bring and and, the, and all the values they're breathing in the society. But it's, it's interesting to see how this generation in particular expect more. They're really aware of what they want and what they don't want and how they want the the industry to act in terms of inclusion, of equity, but also regarding, for example, environmental questions. It's very interesting to, to notice how they really influence the screen-based industry in this path. And, and one of the things that the report talks about in, in the section on uh, influences and audiences with specific reference to, I guess, the social social issues that are important to generations at uh, Gen Z, Z consumers, diversity, equity, ethics, and the environment are, are, are key drivers in their worldview. And they will support brands, products, companies that align with those values. I think, and this is this is across any industry is what the, the study is suggesting. What How this impacts, I think, the screen-based sector is in a similar way. If we consider Gen Z, Gen Z as the next big cohort for consumption as their buying power increases over time. And also you combine that with what we talk about in the macroeconomic trends, which is the, the opportunity for consumers to really pick and choose what they want to consume. They will be voting with their feet and it will be in a way that forces producers, content creators to be much more responsive to those needs. Because once again, if you those needs are, and those values are not reflected in the content, they will go somewhere else. And that may be in the form of choosing another product to watch, uh, another platform, another channel to watch, another uh, SVOD service to watch. So I, I think the era that we're in right now is really fascinating because it really does empower the consumer to to make those choices and have influence on on what is being produced and and you know we we all need to take heed uh, of those trends uh, in order to be able to 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 speak to those consumers as as the years go on are there any other key trends that either of you want to touch on or any data points that surprised you out of this year's research one of the things that surprised me as we took a look at it a little bit and this just had to do with like print-based media. I mean, once again, another story of newspapers are dying. Uh, you know, that's, that's the traditional lines that you've heard for a while. I found really, really interesting, for example, reading of online press and reading of physical print press between Q3 2021 and Q3 2022. It's gone up and it's gone up significantly. In, in Anglophone Canada, for example, 47 minutes of daily time spent uh, reading online press and 31 minutes reading physical print press in Q3 2022, that had gone up to one hour and eight minutes of online press reading and physical press, print uh, press reading had gone up to 43 minutes. It speaks to a number of issues we've talked about in this discussion today is just that there is the, the availability of content is increasing and people are consuming more and more content. When you think about it, just in looking at press, for example, that is growing as well. And I think companies that are involved in that medium of media are finding a way to adapt to the way consumers consume content now. And I think for me, that was really, really interesting to see. And I think that is a lesson to be learned across all our media media platforms. 
Yes, I, I agree with Richard. I think that despite many challenges, whether in terms of economics or, or geopolitical questions or even environmental questions, we, we observe a lot of opportunities. There are a lot of untapped market that we can explore. So it, it means more opportunities for, for creators to, to tell their story, to tell more story, more diverse stories. And I think that it's, it's particularly enthralling to continue to, to notice how the, the screen-based industry will, will evolve over the, the, the coming months, over the coming uh, um, years. As Richard said, there is this availability of, of content which is increasing an appetite uh, from the audience to, to discover more and more content. And I think more and more content align with their values. And so I really think that uh, it's an enthralling period for that. Is there a thought either of you would like to close on? The, the title of the Key Trends Report is Inspirations for a Collaborative Future and Breaking Frontiers in Screen-Based Media. I think you know, what we're seeing, despite all the disruption and all the concerns about the economy that we, we're currently living in, I think there is a real opportunity for growth and for new stories and new voices to be heard. And I think that should be an exciting thing for the entire industry embrace. There is so much potential and so much, as Florent said, pent up demand for content and, and, and content that's reflective of, of all segments of society. And I think these are really exciting times and uh, I'll be really interested in seeing what happens in the, in, in the next couple of years. Thank you both so much for joining us. Thank you very much, Connie. Thank you, Connie. listening to Broadcast Dialogue. For more information about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry, visit us at broadcastdialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all had. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.